because you know we've got so many exciting fantastic four issues to be excited about i actually kind of enjoyed some of these i enjoyed parts but i have to say there's other things where i mean maybe i was just in kind of a crabby mood because i really was i was like these aren't so bad i mean they're stories that don't end or don't really necessarily make any sense but they're they're okay Hello, Whatnots. Welcome to Baxter Building, the podcast where Mr. Jeffrey Lester. Say hi, Jeff. Hello. And Mr. Graham McMillan. Hello. Hi. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Hello, <Jeff. laughs> Anyway, we're going to be reading through the 416 issues of Volume 1 of Marvel's Fantastic Four, the world's greatest comic magazine, a post that is occasionally, but not often, true. <laughs> uh, we're also doing the annuals, but we're not even doing the annuals right now. We're on the regular issues, and we're still... I mean, I guess we're kind of in the second half of the John Murney era now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And this episode, we're doing issues 271 through 277, a collection of issues that Jeff and I have agreed are not as bad as they could be. That <laughs> <laughs> was made praise, but I, I, I actually enjoyed a bunch of them, and Jeff enjoyed parts of a bunch of them. There are, however, also some terrible issues in here. We'll get to them in time. Right. Jeffrey. Yes, sir. Is there anything you'd like to say about this group as a collective, or should we just roll straight into issue 271? You know, I, I think that... Um, so I, I feel that this handful of issues in particular, I basically am trying to figure out more or less what's going on with John Byrne. Because... <laughs> Because I, honestly, I feel I think that I think that John Byrne is um, there's a lot of things that he's doing that, in theory, I think are really good, interesting ideas about the Fantastic Four, you know, or even um, I don't know how to put it. Like there's 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 ways in which I feel between this and the few issues that I peeked at of the thing, I was like, Byrne is really interested in taking these characters, fleshing them out as individuals, fleshing out sort of their backstories and who they are, while at the same time um, tying them, keeping them very closely knotted to the rest of the Marvel Universe. Um, and yet, and... And so he's not phoning it in by any stretch of the imagination. And yet maybe it's just the nature of how monthly books worked and or sold, you know, the fact that he's like writing the thing, he's writing and drawing the Fantastic Four. And and in this run, we see him go through some really interesting changes with his art to the point of taking on an external inker. 
Um, and of course, I'm assuming he's still got bullshit going on with Alpha Flight or whatever. But I believe Alpha Flight is still going on at this point. Yeah. yeah. So, and then of course, when that's done, he's going to segue into doing the Hulk. So for all of like what three issues or something insane like, like that, like six issues maybe. I feel like it was longer, but maybe. Maybe it just felt like that. Anyway, so I wonder the extent to which, in my mind, either Burn is... The three options for me is is that Burn is ambitious as hell, but because of his workload, he's not able to follow through or connect with that ambition nearly as much as um, he would want to, or even in a way that the stories deserve. Or he is so arrogant that he kind of cannot see basically all he has to do is set things up and he feels that everything else is sort of fait accompli, I suppose. Um, or I don't know. I think those are, those are the big two. Of course it's like, is he, is he arrogant or is he overworked? Because, and I suppose the third thing might also be, is, is that John Burns competence as a writer slash storyteller, um, I think I'd mentioned this before. Unlike those story that the other artists turned storytellers from, say, Image, you know, ten years down the line, where those guys really want like nothing to do with backstory. I mean, they'll sort of sketch it in as as they want, but really the thing is, is like, let's do big pinup art. Let's do like you know, spawn with a big gun and next issue he's going to have an even bigger gun. And, you know, I want him fighting a really cool ass monster, not tons of guys because they're hard to draw. Burn generally is like, oh boy, I really cannot wait until I draw this issue with Reed and Sue's, um, you know, housewarming party. Uh, and, and yet there's so much of it that is just, for lack of a better term, it's turgid. I feel like sometimes it, this is why I think I back up to the concept of, of Burns' arrogance because a lot of times he'll set stuff up and it it's almost like he's taking love out of his own voice that, that some of the scenes feel very plotting or it could be that Burn as the over-explainer, let me tell you how, how to chew a stick of gum in the Marvel Universe uh, guy is a lot of the stuff is just way down with the technical minutia of uh, that just seems sort of boring and pedantic to me. So there's great stuff in here. There's really good ideas. There's some really charming execution. And then you'll turn the corner and there's crazy slapdash. What the hell was he thinking? Um, you know, either storytelling, story abandoning, or just drawings where, you know me, I can't, you can have someone hold up like, four hands and all of them are left hands and I can't see anything anatomically wrong with that. So when I look at a John Byrne drawing and I'm like, how did he fuck up the perspective so bad on that? You know that he must have done something really wrong. Plus, Sue has a mullet and I'm not sure that I can forgive him for that. Let's, okay, let's get into Fantastic Four 271 mm -hmm. where the mullet is, makes its debut. And what is with Sue's mullets? Sure, it's the 80s, but still. Yes. Plus... On the first page of yes. Happy Birthday, Darling, mm -hmm. that's what the story is called, everyone. <laughs> um, Sue's outfits in general is astounding. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, this is clearly the image I'm going to have to use in the show notes. Yes. Uh, only because it is great to see the entire cast say, tell the reader, happy birthday, darling. When yes. really it's, it's Reed's birthday. But what is going on with Sue in that image? See, I, okay, first off, it shows you that John Byrne does not understand how mullets work because he's put the party in the front. It's supposed to be business in the front and the party in the back. Okay, that was me trying to be funny. But let's face it, that's kind of funny. <laughs> so, I love that you're just like, even I can't keep this going. <laughs> I, no, I, it's funny. Well, here's something else. For the nitpickers in the audience, hi, that's me. Why not play the game I did of, why is Sue's hair growing and getting shorter by itself in between panels? John Byrne can't even decide what the mullet is like. Oh yeah, no, it's it's all over the map. He he just knows that it has got to look unattractive. That's all he's figured out. On that happy birthday, Dar- darling page, again, this is where I'm thinking like, was Byrne in such a hurry? Because like he's got Wyatt Wingfoot like sort of putting his hand jauntily, kind of akimbo on his hip, except. It's kind of weirdly kind of floating there and half jammed into Sue's arm. and Exactly. It's it's because well, something weird is going on with Sue's arm. Well, yeah. It really does look like Wyatt is potentially got his hand on Sue's arm, but Sue's so self-conscious about it, she's made half part of his hand invisible. <laughs> Maybe that's it. But when you see the reverso, you're, which is actually kind of fun, the next page being a page where you, you see the the reverse angle of it and you see little bits and pieces like Johnny holding a present behind his back. Super cute. But the fact is, again, I feel that this is Burn. The biggest point about this is Burn putting the 40 candles on that birthday cake and making sure that they are 40 fucking candles. And so even though the number isn't said out loud, he's like, that's right, sliding timeline, Reed Richards is now 40. That makes no sense in, you know, in in real time, but in Marvel continuity time, this is what we're looking at cuz there's no way that it, you can have, you know, which is fine. I don't have a problem with I, that. I counted 38. I counted 40 and I swear to god I thought I counted them twice. Maybe we should open this as a, as a contest to the viewers or something. So cuz there's odds feel free to count cuz I'm going to be honest. I counted once that I can't be arse counting again. Uh, maybe Jeff's right. In the comments, please tell us. Is Jeff right? Waitpodpodcast.com. Yeah. Is Jeff right in the comments? Yeah. That's, that's all we need to know. If he, it's, a, it's a win-win. Yes. I am perfectly happy if I'm wrong. It will make Jeff's day if he's right. <laughs> this is sadly horribly true. Horribly yeah. true. So Graham couldn't care. I am literally breaking out the potentially life-ending pills uh, and lining them up on my dresser, depending on how this comes out. So you know, but no pressure. So yeah. get get it right. Why not? That's all I'm saying. Yeah. No, but it's 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 it really is. Well, forty makes sense for the like the way they're treating the the birthday. You yes. know. Yeah. To be fair, Johnny on page three says. I uh, think you can handle blowing out all those candles now that you've hit the big one, brother-in-law. And I'm yeah. like, mm, probably not 38. But, you know. <laughs> Maybe it's 50. Well, see, that's it. That's why I counted the candles twice. So, <laughs> In case you missed 10. Oh, no, I have to admit, Graham, I'm so bad at counting 
visual objects like it's not good for me like unless there's a hash mark through every four of them i'm just i'm seriously fucked so there's times where i actually have to move my thumb over the page slowly with one eye closed to count things i've got some sort of weird brain damage about it but i'm convinced it's 40 anyway the point being listeners john Byrne has some time to kill because he's got two splash pages reed doesn't even blow out the candle until page four johnny storm makes it a point of telling alicia like I think that was almost cheating a little, Alicia, if I hadn't used my power to light those candles and then shows his burning finger to a blind girl who can't see it. So, you know. He's just, he's, she can smell it. Oh, God. <laughs> Alicia <laughs> can smell Johnny Storm's flesh. finger. Yeah, the series yeah. flesh, yeah. Yeah. Flesh that always happens when the human torch flames on. That would of be course. the best. <laughs> like God, most of that, his, that would be just awful. You just hear him, you smell him burning the whole time. Clearly, they've never established that. But that is a, I got to say, that is a beautiful touch, Graham. I'll never look in the character the same way again. And I never <laughs> Wait, thought look. I could look at him any differently once, well, we'll get to that. So. I just want to throw this out there right now. First of all, for all that we're ragging on Burns' art, and we we should, when he is leading Sue into private on the following page, whatever is happening in that second panel, he's either stretching using his his powers in a, a strange way, or Burn has forgotten how anatomy works. But a, I actually really like this issue, and b, one of the reasons I like it is in his flashback, he totally goes Ditko in his inks. Oh, I, I I love his I love his issue. It's Ditko, but I think he switches it up. There's a lot in there that's sort of uh Dick Ayers over Kirby yeah, and I'm over Kirby. Yeah. And I'm totally okay with it. No, his flashback is amusing because for me it's amusing because the story itself is kind of tedious and sort of, in a way, I'm like, eh, it sort of shows a, almost, a, again, sort of the pedantic fanboy nature, but is, on the other hand, such a really genuinely loving tribute to the pre-Marvel superhero days when right? Lee and Kirby and Ditko were cranking out giant monster books. It's really fun. So far, the people who have not read this issue, Happy Birthday, Darling, is a story that starts with Reed's probably 40th birthday. Mm -hmm. And Reed then admits to Soon Private that he didn't remember it's his birthday. And in fact, he's forgotten a lot mm -hmm. ever since his mind was stolen into the alien computer in the negative zone. Right. One of the earliest things he can remember, in fact, is the terrible day I, when I battled Gormu, mm -hmm. which... All of a sudden, the book goes into a great flashback sequence, which is very much in the style of the 1950s monster books. Yeah. Where Reed pre-FF and Sue as the love interest mm -hmm. deal with an alien invasion from Gormu, warrior of Kralo. Yeah. Who, and it's, it's just, it's it really is pitch perfect as a, I mean, it's not even, it is a homage. It's not a parody at all. It's played entirely straight. Yeah, it's very uh, much a pastiche. Yeah, and you even see Ben show up at one point wearing mm -hmm. an amazing blazer, and and it's it's a, a really cute little issue and a cute little story mm -hmm. that is, you know, weren't the fifties monster books great? And you read this and you're like, this is this is a super cute fun book. Yes, that's only the first half of the issue though, <laughs> because then Reed goes, I'm now going to go back to my old family home where you're going to discover that my family is rich 
Yes. Has always been rich. I've never mentioned this before. Mm-hmm. We have servants who mm-hmm. keep my place in Central City, California. Uh, Central City? I mean, is that a Marvel thing before now? or is It's a call out to the first issue of Fantastic Four. It takes place oh, okay. with that they're in Central City, so it's it's a touchstone for Burn. They go back and they they meet the servants who say the house is haunted. It's not haunted, you guys. Read super fucking science brain realizes it's ghosts from a time machine. Because guess what? His father isn't dead. He's lost in time slash space. Right. Dun dun dun. Yeah. It's a great issue. I genuinely, genuinely like this issue. I love the the flashback scene. I actually really do find Reed's, you know, the servants who raised him mm-hmm. to be weirdly charming. I love the, is it supernatural? No, it's science. All of that, I really, really dig. Mm-hmm. I, I think this is a great little issue. I, I'm less crazy about it. There's things that I really love. In fact, the uh, in terms of the, you can... Sort of my feeling of like burn despite whatever the hell's going on with um, the pacing of the story and some of the w- weird art choices. The whole little sequence where Reed has to figure out how to break through an unbreakable door that he suspects might be booby trapped and has Sue remove layers and layers of visibility so he can study the inside of the door really very awesome it's a nice little cool usage of her powers and then then, of course and then johnny's powers because johnny johnny melts he fuses the the uh, Mm -hmm. gears together so they can open the door exactly it's it's really fun uh and um i mean i agree with you 50 percent about uh you said you said that uh they were weirdly charming i found them i found I agree with you on the weird part, but the fact that he's got like a butler named Peacock or whatever, again, I, I, the other problem about it is, is that it's a little bit more of the Reed Richards becomes even less tethered to reality. And what, what's happening. The next couple of issues is going to completely blow your mind. Exactly. And I think that's, sort of part of what bothers me is is the way that burn starts i mean in a way you would say that it's probably kind of um maybe it's sensible of him because once you start from the idea that reed is one of those hapless scientists in a marvel uh monster bag if you can buy into that why can't you buy into the idea that you know he's got a family that you know where his father was an even bigger genius and they were rich and uh, essentially reed is sort of like um the the what burns positing uh, is essentially that like this is kind of reed richards is basically bruce wayne without the trauma except he's you know because he never lost his super dad and therefore he's become this super awesome rich knows everything can do just about anything savior of mankind because he didn't have a tragedy that robbed him of his wildly compassionate parents oh see i didn't i did not get persuaded from this at all well i don't think that you necessarily should because because i don't think that that's necessarily the take what i'm saying is is that once you basically have reed be I can even see in a way the idea that Reed comes for money and in a way 
that makes him exceptionally bad with money is kind of a great idea, although not really anything spoken as text or subtext. Yeah, it, it's it's pretty much like it's it's a reading that explains other things. It's not anything that Burnham's actually suggesting. Right. But I mean, I just mean that Bruce Wayne, I guess what I mean for Bruce Wayne is very much, uh, I, you know, it's more like Reed, Reed is closer to something like Doc Savage. He's just basically, we're getting into the situation where Reed is... Um, a Superman from a race of Superman, uh, more or less before he even gets his powers. And I'm not sure that that's, how do I put it? It kind of reminds me of the first issue of The Thing, which I, before we started recording, I was telling Graham that I'd read with the hopes of reading all the issues of, of The Thing that lead up to FF274. Spoilers, I failed. The first issue of The Thing, which really lays out a lot of Ben Grimm's backstory in a way that is very complete and also made me think, I never needed to know this, you know? And we're entering strange territory in that, on the one hand, this issue lays the ground for the next few issues and very much takes a Fantastic Four trope that everyone knows from listening to the Baxter Building that I dearly love, the idea of Reed Richards having to encounter his shadow self, you know, um, taken to a higher level because it, you know, because it's his father. And yet at the same time, it just, there's a lot of ways in which I was really like, I don't know if we need to know this. And, and kind of, I can't help but feel that it diminishes the character in some way by just making them even that much closer to heroic ideal fantasy fuel now that could be you know my own problem with how i the characters that resonate for me the fact that reed richards is purely heroic is clearly something that burn uh likes about the character and thinks is important and is better than just the plain old like um stanley reed richards is right because he's the leader in the alpha male you know, kind mm -hmm. of concept. Well, it's it's funny that you mentioned Doc Savage because Doc Savage is definitely what I got from this issue, mm -hmm. and I kind of dig it. Mm -hmm. By this point in the book, Reed Richards' true power is his brain. Yeah, you know, and so it kind of makes sense to me that you you give some sort of background to that as opposed to just he's just fucking great at everything. Right, and the idea that he comes from. I, I'm not bringing where not necessarily that was forced, mm -hmm. but definitely that was encouraged. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like works for me. Uh, I, I don't actually have a problem with that at all. Uh, I was wondering is 271 the first time that we've seen that Reed comes from money? I feel like it is. I don't know that and it's it, ever it's totally, really been discussed before. It's kind of dropped in. Mm -hmm. it, or rather, it's kind of mentioned in the text when they show up in California and Reed's like, oh, even though the FF went broke, like my father had set up this different trust just to keep the house going. Mm -hmm. But even before that, in the flashback, Reed is actually at his father's company. Yes. And he, and the, the scene where he rushes out under the big uh, Richard's iron gates. Banner. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, no, it's it was super interesting to me because I was like, is that like that feels new? It feels like a retcon. Mm -hmm. that it, and it kind of is. is it, it sets up the, the story for the next couple of issues. Right. But it all works for me in a way that I think it just doesn't work for you. You, what? you, yeah. you see, pardon me, you see very much the, the problems yeah. with 
with this idea beyond the story. And for me, the story is entertaining enough that I forgive the problems. Right. Which I get, and I think is fair. And it, uh, with all these issues, there's bits and pieces that I liked. And this one had just kind of an ass load of charm in various points. But at the same time, I think especially, I think what's problematic for me is by the time we get to the end of this arc. So let, if you don't mind, let's go on yeah, and talk let, to let's, 272. Let's go on. Mm -hmm. 272, Cowboys and Idioms. Mm -hmm. uh, we are in number one of two terrible puns mm -hmm. so cowboys and idioms everyone uh the ff after going who knows what happened to my father all of a sudden like well i've worked out how to use the time machine and we're gonna go exactly to where he is right between issues uh and, and they do they go to what i think they all like immediately know it's an alternate world so they think they might also think they've traveled in time and sue while exploring sees cowboys that's right cowboys isn't it exciting but they're weapons they're crazily futuristic why are they talking about the warlord what's going on shit something's happened do you think the warlord might be connected to reed's dad who knows oh wait wait until you get to the last page and reed's dad will show up in armor with a new kid Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. Spoilers. Hope you don't have any affection for that kid because you'll never fucking see them again. <laughs> so there's a, there's a lot of stuff that is interesting here. Again, um, to, in, the one thing that I should really clarify, and this is something that I think I had mentioned with the, uh, the fill-in issue discussed last time. Where it's where it's Thing versus Sue, and Sue really holds her own. The scene in which Sue faces uh, tries to stop a gunfight, um, and then more or less everything blows out of her control because she's not she doesn't realize the technology that she's dealing with, but nonetheless comes up with various different ways to control her powers and and thwart the people who are attacking her is really enjoyable like it's kind of an extended sue fight scene that in a way is something that i think that works really well with uh burn he's got a certain amount of sort of that mix of science savvy and it also is something that we kind of haven't seen and is is kind of overdue i mean even though it's relatively brief it's it's more or less a three-page fight sequence with sue and the other guys before Every before the rest of the team gets involved, um, I kind I like that, and ah uh, boy, it's just you know part of it is the ending is is a huge is is a big blunder I think, um, but also I have to say that you know in some ways I know it. People who listen to the Baxter Building and and allow me, I feel like I'm already talking too much. I'll try and keep it short. Everyone who wants to disregard my opinion can is I invite you to remember how much I enjoyed the Jerry Conway uh Rich Buckler issue where they the FF end up in a parallel universe and have to watch a battle in the 50s between the Greasers, MC Hammer and Robot Monster basically a an, a giant ape with a Sputnik head. This is like that it's got 
the FF in an alternate reality, altered timeline in which they're ending up dealing with a mishmash of conflicting elements, the anachronistic and the futuristic jammed next to each other. And because it's John Byrne, um, everything makes sense in a way that the Conway uh, Buckler scene absolutely 100 positively presented not. And yet I feel it's just kind of when, when they actually have Sue say, good heavens, or maybe it's Reed Richards saying, it looks like one of the Martian fighting machines from that movie, War of the Worlds. I think you're kind of getting to the level of, I just, I found myself being like, come on, John Byrne, you're a little bit better than this, you know? No, he's, he's really not, though. And I don't even mean that in a John Byrne is shit, but John Byrne loves to rip something off and then have a character call it out in the text. Right. He's done that all the way along. Like, that is a classic burn move at this point. But you know what I, I feel is different about this story, and it could be wrong, especially by the time we get to the big wrap-up, like, oh my god, you've never seen such an amazing battle that I've never felt less interested in drawing finale, is, is that it just feels... Uh, it's one thing when it's like, oh, it, he has to keep calling out these elements because they don't they don't really have any weight on their own. And I think that's the thing that sort of bums me out is, is that by the time you get to the next issue where Byrne makes a point to go and introduce yet another factor, um, I, I was just like, this should be, it should be the stuff of like gripping high adventure. This is Byrne being like, oh my God, I finally get to draw. This is my, you know, again, this is my heavy metal story and I'm going to be drawing all these crazy anachronisms in a way that's super fun. And then by the time that issue 273 rolls along, he's kind of like, ah, you know, I'm really, I just haven't been sleeping well or <laughs> something. Let's just I, I, wrap this up. While I, while I will agree with you that 273 is a relatively lackluster climax. Mm-hmm. I this 272 is clearly a my mileage may vary thing. I I see what you're saying about the the Conway issue, mm-hmm. but that seemed like a very different story to this one. It mm-hmm. seems like it seemed like the purpose of that story was how wacky can we be? Mm-hmm. And I really don't think that's what's going on here. No, admittedly, I think Burn. I, I don't think I don't think Burn would ever want to be thought of as wacky, even at this point. Mm-hmm. But instead, Burn is looking at this as. Not just like it's War of the Worlds, but also it's Westworld. Eh. Like I think I think Byrne is is very like Byrne has his as is almost always the case in this book, Byrne has his serious sci fi fan hat on. Yes. Which very often makes for very dull comics. In this case, I actually think I mean it's this is not as good an issue as the previous issue, but it's still a good issue for me. Mm-hmm. Burn overplays his hand with the there's a warlord who has corrupted the timeline foreshadowing and then really overplays his hands by cutting to Nathaniel Richards' wife, who is clearly the warlord immediately. Absolutely. I mean, like, it very, it, very, very clearly. Exactly. Just by, just by her. But just by the way, other people talk to her and she talks to other people. Yes. So go from that to the. And here's Nathaniel Richards. At no point does he seem like the warlord. No. 
He's like you holding know? a baby, being like, oh, my beautiful wife, you've made life all worthwhile. Oh, thank God, this desolate hellhole. But here, let's have some birthday cake, which would have been awesome. And uh, no, I, it's... But, so, it, it, so he kind of fucks up the climax, but uh, to that point, like, I'm I'm totally down. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. My, my bigger... Mm-hmm. I, I, not only am I totally down, like, the opening double-page spread on two and three... Mm-hmm. I think it's a really nice use of layout as well. I, yes. I think, oh yeah, yeah, I yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I, it's we are heading into a really weird era of art from Byrne, mm-hmm. and he's he's at various actually points in this issue, his layouts are are astonishingly pedestrian. Mm-hmm. As you said, the, the the fight scene is it is less a fight scene than a suggestion of a fight scene, followed by like the FF going, well, that about wraps that up mm-hmm. with nothing in between. Mm-hmm. Um. But that that opening double page spread, I think, is 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 great. Oh, and, I think and so too. So mm-hmm. I like I I like a lot of this book. The the two seven three is is a uh, a terrible climax. Yeah. Um, I... Before we get there, mm-hmm. and it kind of was a bridge to that. Mm-hmm. One of my major misgivings about this issue is Nathaniel Richards is, for one of like no pun intended, fantastic. Mm-hmm. He is a super scientist who has passed, not only like accidentally gone to another dimension, mm-hmm. but thrived in that dimension, brought Neanderthals forwards, you know, to work for him the whole shebang, or at least that's, that's the implication. Yeah. This wouldn't be so much of a problem for me. In fact, I kind of like the idea if it wasn't for the fact that we've already seen the father of Sue and Johnny way back when. Mm. who was himself also like a super powered guy mm-hmm. you know but through circumstance mm-hmm. um and it's it's it seems a bit much to be like hey you know she hulk's dad it's probably fucking dr doom <laughs> right you know, and, right and grim's dad oh, you know that's that's galactus because <laughs> if I, you know it would be nice to not go and the way to see their parents mm-hmm if it feels overused even at this point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's that's kind of my that's much bigger misgiving for me about this issue than the you know, it's cowboys, but they've got laser guns and robot horses. Sure, I I can take that. I, I, I'm not even saying that, that I'm actually very pro uh robot horses. It's just I don't know how to describe it. It's not fun. There's nothing fun in these issues. Honestly, if Byrne was having a little more fun, maybe 273 would have been, would have gone on for like another issue and we would have gotten some fight scenes. Maybe Nathaniel Richards would have been an actual character rather than just a weird, he's just a weird implication of a character, you know? He's, he's, he's reads with a goatee. Exactly. And and so, in a way, the the buy-in of when everyone is more or less saying, like, well, the warlord conquered everyone. And then in the next issue, when you see him doing the stuff that you do, you're like, okay, I believe he can do it, in part because he's Reed's dad. You know, it's sort of a, a, a fun way to shorthand that. But like I said, I mean, reading this issue really made me think, like, fuck, man, if Jonathan Hickman had this, he would have ran this for 18 fucking issues and then continued it into the next series that he did, you know, and (laughs) which is funny considering the amount of Nathaniel Richards, Jonathan Hickman used at Marvel. 
Oh, that's so funny because I paid no attention to any of it. So, um, but yeah, he, yeah. He, he, he uses just Nathaniel Richards a lot, uh -huh. Jeff. Oh, right. Well, and it makes sense. It makes sense because, again, I see Hickman being excited by the same stuff that, that, that Byrne is excited by here. But par part of the problem for me, again, is, is that there's stuff, there's stuff in here that I enjoy a lot. Like you said, that opening page splash is fun and inventive. And even, even the building action, because it starts small with Sue's skirmish, then it builds to the Robo Cowboys, then you've got the Martian Tripod Hunter. You know, it's a lot of fight, and that's which I generally like. But it's just burns in such a hurry to get it all handled and over with that you know it's just it's it's pretty joyless and if nothing else there's no tension from the next issue because you know as you point out he totally has to um hang a lantern on establish the 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 wife's character um so that you know his twist ending makes quote unquote sense but it it has no surprise or weight to it because precisely because in order to make it fit in the page count of everything that Burns doing, you know, it couldn't be more horribly telegraphed. So I don't know. I, it's, it's, it's hard for me because all this stuff where I'm like, Oh, I, f I feel like I should be digging this. I should like this, but I feel like the person, and I could be wrong. I don't feel like it's me standing in the way of it. I kind of feel like John Byrne is getting in the way of John Byrne's best moves. So I don't know. If you consider Burns' latter career, that's that's not a uh, an unlikely reading. Right, right. Talking of Burns, did you read these on Unlimited or in the GAT Core scans? I I read them on Unlimited, and then because the stuff with the art was so weird, I wanted to jump over and and spin quickly through the GIT scans. Did you see the note from John Byrne in the letters page of 272? I did, because I remembered that it popped up somewhere around this time. It's funny, after looking at 274, I was like, oh, I bet this is the issue where he addresses it. But no, it pops up at the end of 272, which I think is really interesting. And now a message from John Byrne, who reads, Over the next few months, you're likely to be seeing some changes in the pages of books I illustrate. Some will be so minor you might not even notice, while others will be more obvious. And I thought I'd just warn you in advance. I've been drawing comics professionally for the past 10 years, and in that time I've continually strived to make my work the best it could be. And to be perfectly honest, I'm not satisfied yet. I know when I do a good job, but I'm also aware of my shortcomings. I've been working hard to make my penciling and inking the finest I'm capable of, but I think the hard truth is that if my work is to keep growing and improving, I must focus my attention on one aspect at a time. And I think the penciling is where I have to start. So the John Byrne of old is about to mutate into something else, hopefully for the better, and I hope I can depend on all of you to let me know if I start heading in the wrong direction. Thanks. This is notable because not only are we going to get... Actually, in the very next issue... No, two issues from now. Al Gordon is going to ink the book for the first time. The first issue that uh, Byrne has not inked himself. Uh, I think... Um, was that oh, no, 274? Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, it's. I think 274 is... Oh, right, That's it is Al Gordon. Two, yeah, two yeah, issues yeah. from now. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. And then two issues after that, Jerry Ordway starts the regular anchor. That's right. And for my money, book look a lot better. Yes. However, despite all of this, I don't think Burns' penciling changes. Uh, you know, it's interesting. I don't know. I don't know to what extent he is talking about, per se, but 
it really depends on i think if we saw the pencils for 274 we would have a better sense because i i don't know I, I don't have that strong a sense of of al gordon as an inker but issue 274 when we get to it basically looks like uh john byrne is like i want to draw like motherfucking barry windsor smith and suddenly you see like a really very different approach to a, a light rendering line that I kind of feel more or less gets kind of abandoned almost immediately. That's what I was going to say. That That's what makes me think that it's Garden and not Burn because mm-hmm. it's not present in the subsequent issues. Mm-hmm. Could be. Could be. Although it's tough to tell because there's some panels in uh, the Ordway issues. I mean, thank God, Jerry Ordway being Jerry Ordway, it's very easy to have a very strong sense of him as an inker because he did it for so long and that it did his own pencils and you kind of know he, when he Ordway is, a, is a, doing stuff. Yeah, he's a very overpowering inker exactly. in, a, in a good way often. Mm-hmm. And in fact, I think he really adds to, to Burns' character work. A lot. But, mm-hmm. but you know, it it's, it's doesn't necessarily look like a non-Ordway book. Let's zoom through issue 273, which I think we all find disappointing. I want to say the most obvious thing about Fathers and Others, which is John Byrne should never fucking letter a comic book ever. Yeah, the lettering was interesting. It's so hard to read. Yeah. Uh, Byrne does everything in this issue apart from coloring, yep. which Glynis Wynn handles, which means you get Byrne's lettering, which is terrible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is like genuinely, I mean, it's legible. It's, but it's so like distractingly yeah unprofessional it's so funny it, you know as someone who remembers burn from like it, it carlton read, he, he lettered his carlton stuff didn't yeah he? see that's it it's like i remember this like i'm ha- i have such a strong space 1999 flashback just from looking at those those letter forms and it's and it's funny because i'm like i find it very charming and like i said it it, because i was exposed to some of that stuff it's got sort of a strong nostalgic urge to it but it is also uh, you know i'll it's one of the things i find fascinating about burn is is despite his various buckled down retentive qualities i think that burn really wants to be kind of a a fun cartoonist, you know, and I think we'll cover this a little bit when we talk about Reed and Sue's neighbors at that housewarming party. You know, it's like mm-hmm. I I think Burn Burn's lettering when Johnny says flame on, it's 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 got an exuberance to it. It's got a um but it's but it's more cartoony. It it draws the cartoony aspects that Burn has and has an appreciation for but that hasn't really i felt ever ever really um meshed well with the rest of his work you know what i mean like so it's Mm. kind so for me it just never like you said it's a it's a bad fit but it's interesting to me to watch it because i feel like it's such a um well, and in Fathers and Others, so we get a whole sequence basically where uh, it, it, it's it's more or less Reed, the, Reed is taken to the Warlord's Fort. And uh, after them beating another one of the War, War of the Worlds tripods where Johnny's like, hey, you can't, you can't 
I won't fall for the same tricks again. Here I am going to beat this, beat the crap out of this tripod. Then there's an arrival of a bunch of um, Valkyries on uh, robot birds, sort of the same way that we've had robot horses. And we finally get the backstory of what happened to this whole planet, which again is is interesting to me because it's so it's burn doing like oh here's my here's to me it just feels like such a heavy metal story you know it's like it's the future but it's the past the world fell apart then it rebuilt itself then he showed up and none of us trusted him but he was able to earn my trust and then you know married my daughter and then you know built us awesome robot birds that allowed us to to travel and then you know, the next thing we know, we, we took over the whole world. And which was great because um, Wyatt Wingfoot, after hearing it, says, it all sounds like a history of the Earth as it might have been if the Dark Ages had not occurred. And I'm like, this is a story that starts with, like, people landing on the moon. Land on the moon. Yeah. yeah, and then declaring independence from Earth. And I have to say, it is a shame. People, if you want your next great Tumblr image, the uh, the image of the person holding up the IRL uh, flag, which of course uh, you stand stands for the Independent Republic of Luna, but you know, but come on, it's the internet. IRL stands for something else, different and awesome. Feel free to pillage these couple of pages. Um, it's <laughs> I was like, man, I don't know a lot about the Dark Ages. Is what I learned from this comic book, Graham. Because well, the Dark Ages started with mine landing on the moon. Apparently, right? Yeah, yeah. And then, uh, because they did that, they were so heavy that the moon went in front of the sun and it got really dark. Mm-hmm. And so humanity as a whole went, "We're not doing that again." <laughs> and so they renounced science altogether, ah. right? And then, you know, or, or you know, just like you know, I, I, it's it's something like twenty years. I can't remember. I'm not a historian. <laughs> and John Kennedy's born and says, "Let's go to the moon." That's it. Those are his first words. Oh, I remember uh, that. Sure. And then uh, he he builds a rocket, mm. and uh, he, his neighbor Neil Armstrong goes to the moon. Okay, I didn't realize they were neighbors. This helps me a lot. I gotta say, um, look, when I became an American citizen, I had to do a test. I was of... just going to ask if you had to learn all this stuff as a result of yeah, that. That's, yeah, that's the only reason I know. <laughs> because in, in British uh, schools. Uh huh. Your history lesson is only about the Eurovision Song Contest. Oh, well, that makes sense. Here in California, it's only about the California missions. So Okay, see, so yeah. So imagine that, but with more singing, and occasionally they pull skirts off, and there's shorter skirts underneath. Oh, man. No wonder why everyone gets so excited about Eurovision. That's kind of great. <laughs> now I'm going to have to put the video for fucking making your mind up in the show notes. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, that make no sense. To people. <laughs> Damn it! What am I saying? Yeah, Graham, you've got no one to blame but yourself. So I just want I to really point out at at what so so essentially Reed goes talks to the warlord and is like, "Hey, you're my dad. You learned taught me so much. It's like you instilled in me also the common sense to realize dangers that lay side by side with new knowledge." And basically, I, I, before you go any further, can I also say that because Burn is not a professional letterer, mm-hmm. you can see where the lettering has been touched up. Oh. And when he's talking to the warlord, mm-hmm. in my 20s is the touch up. 
He says the warlord, does the warlord, great warlord not recognize his own son? Yes, I was only in my 20s last time I saw you. And in my 20s is clearly been written after the fact. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I was wondering what was there before? Mm-hmm. It's distracting. Everything about lettering is, is fucking distracting. Yes. Uh, you were so much more than a father to me, he says. You were my teacher, my guide. As we as we rolled back the frontiers of as we as together we rolled back the frontiers of science and again as together we rolled is is a later edition. Yeah. Yeah, you're and right. It's like what what is what was this speech originally? Mm-hmm. Dad, mm-hmm. you were never there, so I became a scientist to spite you. <laughs> I think in some cases it just got like. There were there were points where the editor was like, "Ah, John, I'm sorry, but uh, literally, I can't read this. You know, you just gotta." I think it was done. Yeah, it's just. I, no, I don't think he necessarily changed it. It was just like he changed it for legibility reasons. It would not surprise me. So, because let's face it, the 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 lettering is it's a little it's a little all over the place. But who knows? I could be wrong. I mean, maybe maybe there was a maybe maybe Mike Carlin was like. I really prefer rolled as a verb here. It's very important, you know, because, you know, they were smoking <laughs> doobs together. So my big point is, is that you get to a sequence that is what follows is the bloodiest battle the members of the Fantastic Four have ever found themselves involved in. More than a battle, in fact, it is a full-fledged war that now explodes across these already devastated acres. And what a war! The many facets of the separate cultures clash like some surrealist nightmare. The world way to oversell H- this. Oh, see, John Byrne. this is it. Byrne is like the worlds of H.G. Wells and J.R.R. Tolkien smash headlong against those of Richard Wagner and Zane Grey. Countercultures collide and strive by their collision to annihilate each other. And in the very heart of the blazing battle, the Fantastic Four strive to restore order and peace. And then it segues to Wyatt Wingfoot, who basically solves and saves everything. But the fact is, is that Byrne is overriding it because he does not give a shit about this setup. He jams the world's greatest war into six panels across two pages that he could not, he just... Well, into five panels, because the sixth panel is Wyatt actually walking away from an explosion. You're right, you're right, sorry. So it's five panels across two pages. It's Burns... Again, it's this thing, Burn does not... He said, he, we've spent two and a half issues trying to, you know, where Burn is selling us on this, and then Burn's kind of like, eh, I'm tired. Like, you know, you remember how before Burn... Just about every single writer artist team would set up an enormous storyline and then leave before the end of it. This is the storyline that John Byrne Byrne would have bailed on. Yeah, completely. He's like, oh, fuck, I've got to stay and do this? Shit. God damn it. It it is such an amazingly underwhelming finale, isn't it? Mm. Like, despite Byrne, the writer, trying to, you know, sell the shit out of it after the fact. Mm -hmm. I I mean, it actually ends because why it just so happens to find the warlord who has wandered out themselves with a minion to fire at the antimatter cannon that mm-hmm. was, will end everything, and he throws a rock into it, and everything's fine. Yeah. I yeah. mean, holy shit. Mm-hmm. It's, it's so 
it really is Burton going, uh, I, I planned this out for like another three issues, but I, I can't be fucked. I just can't be fucked. How am I going to wrap it up? And John Byrne literally wraps it up with a blank panel that says Oblivion and then an all dark panel that says of a kind. Wyatt. And then that's our segue. It's amazing how much Byrne stops giving a shit, which is interesting to me because um, – Having said all that, I absolutely adore the last page, which is so stupid because the last page is such the. Wait, you mean the, the last page of this issue? Nathaniel's talking to Reed? No, or the, the epilogue page. The epilogue page is. Well, before before we get to that page, yes, we should say that the issue wraps up with Nathaniel going. Hey, you guys, I was never the warlord. I fell in love with this girl. She turns out to be the warlord. It's such a bummer. Hey, Reed, good to see you. I know I've been missing for years. I'm not going to come back with you. I had a kid last issue. Fuck right. knows what happened to that kid. Mm-hmm. And never never mentioned again. Never had a name anyway. So, you know, whatever. I'm probably going to stay here or something. Uh, yeah, sure. Okay. Catch you later. And then you get to the epilogue page. But, yeah. but the – oh, Actually, one other thing before we get there. Mm-hmm. You might remember Whatnots, Jeff, anyone who read these comics. This storyline started in 271 mm-hmm. with Reed going, I can't remember things. Yes! Things have gone from my memory. I'm going to try and find out what's going on. That never gets mentioned again. No. Maybe Reed, maybe Reed forgot. But <laughs> it does mean from that issue forward, Reed Richards is literally operating uh, in a brain damaged state. See, this is I, what I wanted to ask because I thought this would be an amazing long f- game to play is, you know, I, I really enjoyed when Fraction did his turn on Iron Man and had Tony Stark's brain basically pull the flowers for Algernon with Tony Stark. I'm like, this would be a great setup to have Reed Richards basically be losing his brain and especially because Byrne ties it into the whole, like, I had part of my brain stolen from me in the negative zone, you know, with that really boring robot thing, you know, was kind of, I'm like, oh, well played. Good. So I was going to ask you, like, does this ever come back with, with Not Reed that I being... remember. I, wow. No, I'm fairly sure that that's just drops. I'm fairly sure it was a MacGuffin to get him to go home, uh, even though nothing happens at home about his memory. And it said all that really happens at home is that he uh, discovers that his dad is actually still alive on an alien planet. And even then, his dad doesn't fucking... Like, his dad exists in this comic, I should you not, listeners, for two pages. Yeah. Yep. The totality of Nathaniel Richards in the storyline is three pages long. Yeah. Yeah. It is remarkably underwhelming that it gets... And like I said, it almost more or less exists as a... Again, here's Reed Richards facing his shadow self of a scientist gone wrong. But the, the, the spin, such as it is, is kind of the, the trick is, is that we didn't realize it's actually Sue Storm's shadow self. And if Sue had been a manipulative bitch the way that the warlord's wife was, because he does say that she's a younger woman and Nathan is is like, oh, and I was so foolish to believe that she loved me as much as I cared for her. Sue, of course, clearly adores Reed 
unconditionally and is a good person. But, you know, if not, maybe she would have been able to manipulate Reed to taking advantage of, you know, our Dark Ages when our moon was destroyed. I don't know. I think that it's something to think about. Bless you for trying to make that that whole storyline work. Because <laughs> let, let's be honest, it doesn't. It doesn't. Yeah, talk about the last page. Talk about the epilogue. So the last page epilogue is uh, essentially a bored, tired bozo in the year three thousand during the glorious age of enlightenment, uh, where every it's the the century of peace and progress, the ultimate in civilization of culture, and one man. It is the most hated time, for he thinks himself a man of adventure, and there are no adventures in the year 3000, no enemies to battle, no dragons to slay. Basically, you see the origin of the man who becomes Ramatut, uh, which is super, to me, super great, because up until this point, the understanding of, of Ramatut is, is that he is an ancestor of someone from our time who was a great figure and believes it to be Dr. Doom because it was the, his ancestor had invented a time machine and we see all the great stuff in which he goes back, learns his ancestor's secrets and goes back in time. Byrne is, I think making a very clever because, because, of, because the guy who becomes Ramatut becomes Immortus becomes Kang and is basically this this the sort of badass villain who is a descendant of you know marvel's greatest badass villain burn is doing something here which is like hey these are parallel universes anyway i've got this very cool structure that i've set in place which is the palace of the warlord this board guy goes back finds the time machine that we see that nathan richards has invented and so the sad part is, is that the whole thing is this crazy potential retcon to basically make it that Kang is a descendant, not of Dr. Doom, but of Reed Richards and Nathan Richards. I kind of love that. I really am into that. But um... Now, you mentioned uh, Parallel Worlds there. Yes. I, my reading of it was that he was essentially saying, no, it, it's actually Kang. Like, this is actually not meant to be, like, parallel Kang, but this is meant to be Kang Kang. Oh, no, no, no. Am I... Oh. No, no, you're right. This is Kang Kang. It's just that, which is great to say out loud, let me tell you. It sounds like a term of endearment. Oh, Kang Kang, bring, bring the war machine so that we may conquer this century. Be a good one. Good darling, won't you, Kang Kang? No, uh, what, what it sounds like, or maybe a contestant on RuPaul's Drag Race, which would be amazing to see <laughs> Kang the Conqueror on. That would be the best. No, 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 no. I, I'm sorry. What I'm saying, this is the genuine Kang, but what's being posited is is that he is coming from this parallel timeline that um, Reed it, really early on specifies in a, in a weird, fucked up out of nowhere kind of way that time that he's like oh yeah the time machines more or less always bump people into parallel universes and so it's a gimme when they travel burn has said this concept before in his marvel 2 and 1 issue 50 ah uh, thank you okay when ben Grimm tries to go back to his own past mm. to stop himself becoming the thing mm -hmm. and instead he hits a, a parallel universe and the end of it is reed saying all right oh you can't do that 
whenever you time travel, you always get a chance to enter a parallel universe. Right. So essentially, the cl the part that I think is very clever here is is Nathan gets shunted into this parallel universe, brings peace to it, and then when his ancestor goes back in time, he's shunted into a parallel universe that is the regular Marvel universe and becomes our Kang. Or rather, our Ramatut and then Immortus and then Kang. And, and then Kang, and yeah. 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 It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's very ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, again, <laughs> you, yes. you, you clearly like this, this epilogue. I honestly was like, oh, that's just unnecessary. Well, cause it is unnecessary. Let's put it this way. It, it is, I like it, but I, I would have liked an actual story and with Nathan Richards had been a character and Reed had actually managed to solve or been given the next piece of the puzzle regarding you know, his mother's missing eyes rather than having it be just kind of like, a, oh yeah, and then this happened and then I couldn't be asked, but here's an amazing epilogue that sets up a whole nother string of things. That, well, um, the other thing is the epilogue essentially is like confused. You'll find out what's happening in an upcoming Avengers storyline. Yeah. That never, that storyline never actually happened, right? I don't know. Have I, for, Not... have I forgotten a whole other storyline that is, hey, everyone, Reed Richards' dad is actually the ancestor of Ramatat, who also happens to be Kang slash Immortus slash everyone. Yeah, I think I think they were plan that seems to me like such a Byrne and his drinking buddies, Roger Stern and Mark Grunwald, were kinda like, Yeah, we gotta do this as our next big annual crossover thing and we'll do it with the Avengers because of course they're Kang and we'll get around to it because, you know, Roger Stern, you're gonna be writing the Avengers for all of recorded time from here on out, right? And then You're I definitely not going to quit after having a fight with Mark Grunewald. Right. Def that's definitely That's never going to happen. So look, we could just bank on this. This is absolutely going to be a thing. Speaking oh, of man. the thing, issue 274. Uh, um, oh, Jeff, what a pun. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff. <laughs> what can I say? I was inspired by titles like Cowboys and Idioms. Also, it bothered me there was no real mention of idioms in a in a in a story called Cowboys and Idioms. Right? Was it well, just me? No, that's that's fine. <laughs> I mean, fathers and others, I kind of get behind, but but Cowboys Especially and Idioms. That's other Earth. Did you did you get that? Yeah. Right. Or okay. alternately. The the other ancestor, which is uh, which is Immortus on the last page, or uh, Ramatut slash Immortus slash Kang, I R K is is how I should start referring to him. Or no, I guess it's R I K. Hmm. Anyway, stop me from ranting and talk about issue two seventy four, Graham. Issue two seventy four is what can only be described as. John Burns' weird attempt to try and raise sales of the thing totally. by placing. A thing story in Fantastic Four for no reason whatsoever. Yeah. At all. Um, Monster Mash Part 2 follows on from The Thing Issue 19. Which, Jeff, did you actually read The Thing Issue 19 or I not? Did. Yeah, no, I did. For people who didn't read The Thing Issue 19, all you need to know is this. 
the thing is still on Battle Worlds, the planet that Secret Wars took place on. He runs into various ghoulies for reasons that will not be explained for another couple of issues of the Thing series. He runs into Dracula, he runs into a mummy, and then at the very end, he's confronted by a cloaked figure who is essentially, I'm just somebody you used to know. Somebody who hates you. You'll find out who that is in a couple of issues of the Thing as well. But he drops them through a trapdoor where he the issue ends with Ben meeting Frankenstein's monster. And I think he actually says the blamed Frankenstein monster. So he doesn't call him Frankenstein because, as we know, that's the doctor. <laughs> anyway. Fantastic Bird was on that tip way back, ladies and yeah, gentlemen. Of, yeah. cor- of course he fucking was. Of course he was. 274 uh, starts with a nosy neighbor looking in on Sue and She-Hulk having breakfast together. And thinking, oh, they're monsters, they're witches, because she sees the She-Hulk turn green and lift up her fridge. She, for some reason, doesn't recognize the She-Hulk, who is a massively famous superhero. Yeah. Yeah. But sure, that's, that's, how, that's how this works. Sue then sees the nursery that they had created for the child they lost, breaks down in tears, and then we cut to Reed, Johnny, and Alicia. Johnny and Alicia are going on a date. Reed's like, oh. That's super weird. Maybe they're dating. That's weird. I wouldn't know anything about that. I only know about machines. Hmm. You know who didn't know anything about anything? Ben. I wonder what's happening with Ben. And then the rest of the fucking issue is a thing story. Yeah. Yeah. It's not subtle at all. It's just, like you said. It's not. It doesn't even vaguely connect to anything Fantastic Four-ish. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah, no, it really feels like, like you said, an attempt to raise the sales of the thing. I, I do have to say, though, that whether it's Al Gordon or, like I said, like Byrne being like, I want to see what it's, can I draw like Barry Windsor Smith? But it is a kind of a gorgeous fucking issue. I really loved uh, I, looking I'm at it. I'm going to argue right now that there's nothing Barry Windsor Smith about this at all. Well, that's because you're wrong, Graham, but that's fine. That's that's possibly I am wrong. If by Barry Windsor Smith, what you mean is they're less solid blacks and more lines? Mm-hmm. Sure, maybe. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's and the rest of the story is is genuinely uh, the thing is dealing with some monsters. Oh, there's monsters, but it turns out there's a guy in charge of the monsters, and the monsters disappear. At the end. I have to say that and it that, really oh, did. Mm-hmm. It did. Does then end with a two-page epilogue setting up fucking Web of Spider-Man number one. Yep. Yep. Because yep. of course it does. Yeah. Yeah, there's, 274 is such a weird issue. Yeah, it really is. And between reading Thing 19 and Thing 270, uh, FF274, it really did give me the result of... Because, you know, I was I was a young man back then, and I was a Marvel fiend, and I was buying a lot of comics... <laughs> You know, and I did not buy the thing. I, I and and part of it was just this feeling that the stories were like really shitty and weight and weightless. Like particularly the Rocky Grim Space back. Ranger stuff. I'm sorry, it could maybe they're great and weightless, but no, they're shitty, but they're not weightless. Actually, that's not true. They're shitty and weightless. The, <laughs> the, the Rocky Grim Space Ranger stories are are terrible. Yeah, really. Really not good. Uh, shall I? You know what's more interesting about this comic, mm. or more interesting to talk about right now than this comic? Because mm-hmm. I promise you, people, we have said everything that needs to be said about this comic. That is true. 
Um, I am going to spoil for you, Jeff, who the cloaked man is in Thing 19. Okay. That sounds good. Uh, the cloaked man who is behind everything. Is it Ben Grimm? Yes! Yeah, I see. Yeah. It's only fucking Ben Grimm mm-hmm. who, who the thing then kills. Spoiler alert. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that's that's the big finale of the Rocky Grimm storyline. Oh, that's one of two big finales. Uh, there is a an interlude in the, this issue, as you know, for a little green girl looking for something. Yes. And comedy aliens. That turns out to be Ultron's head that she is looking for. Mm, is her dowry. Okay. Is her dowry. Okay. Quite. Why? Eh. Right. It's it's unclear. Ben brings it back with him to Earth, as you'll see in a couple of issues, uh, and that sets up a West Coast Avengers plotline. Mm-hmm. But but it it doesn't really do anything within the Thing book. It's mm-hmm. a super strange running gag throughout the entire Rocky Grimm storyline. Mm-hmm. It's a storyline as if it's actually a coherent storyline, as opposed to uh, Byrne and also Mike Carlin, who writes the book for a little bit. Uh, desperately trying to go, we, come on, he's in space. There's got to be something we can do with this. See, something it's, we can it's this. amazing. I was just like, okay, you've got to have, oh, it was just a shame. Because I think there's there's two really decent ideas powering that that little period of the thing. And somehow they managed to cancel each other out and leave the creative team completely adrift they have no idea which one to do they just have to make sure that wait, whichever wait, so one are, they do what are what, the two for you uh, for there, me there's, there's ben in space right it's ben in space and uh the idea that battle world is a reflection of ben Grimm's psyche and and is therefore everything that he's coming up against are things inside his own mind made real um, and being now, manipulated to, to be, by it. What's that? To be fair to the creators, I think they only decided on that midway through the storyline. Okay. That, which could because there's, be. de- there's definitely stuff in the first few issues that just don't really make sense if that's the reading. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, why would, why would Ben invent this type of thing? There's other things to do. Like, maybe the second or third chapter is literally he comes across an alien Yancey Street. Yes, right. And he comes across right, like a race of things at one point as well, mm-hmm. really early on. Mm-hmm. But there's also things that just don't reflect his psyche. Right. Which uh, and so I, I, I think that, that's a weird retcon. Right. And, and so I would be – I would kind of be okay with maybe even if they had known what they were doing and figured out the way to tease it out. You know what I mean? But yeah, it's not going to be mistaken for Tarkovsky's stalker anytime soon. You know, it's just a lot of them being like, well, if we do it this way, we can cancel out any of the, you know, dramatic stakes. Or we could do it the other way where we cancel out any sense of, you know, reality. Hmm. Let's see if we can do them both. So we cancel both out and it just feels like you're really glad that Ron Wilson's getting a paycheck. Like, oh, I think we can do that. You know, for like eight. Yeah, it's, it's but it's amazing. Yeah, for if two seventy four is meant to make people pick up the thing book, mm-hmm. I it's a, it's an utter failure. I like I said, there, I, there's I was nothing, like, I'll never read nothing this. Even yeah. vaguely interesting. In this, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, it does make me wonder, especially because the cover is the thing smashing 
through a wall seeing it last at slobbering time uh it does make me wonder if it was like a, a sales gimmick essentially uh, people want to see the thing back in the FF, sure. Sure. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. No, I, I think there might be something to that. It makes a lot of sense. Speaking of sales gimmicks, it's issue 275, The Naked Truth. Uh, Jeff, I might be wrong, mm-hmm. but I remember when I was reading comics as a kid, which is roughly this period, mm-hmm. multiples of 25 were a big deal for comics. Mm-hmm. Like, issue 25 was a big deal. Issue 50 was a big deal. Issue 75 was a big deal, and so on. 275 is, like, the most lazy, half-assed, fill-in comic. Mm-hmm. Arguably in this run, which is just included literally a fill-in that should have been a thing story. <laughs> well, Graham... I yeah. hate issue mm-hmm. 275. 275 is it's... pretty terrible, yeah. Yep. The entire plot of 275 is She-Hulk is sunbathing topless on top of the Baxter building when a camera crew in a helicopter flying past takes photographs of her topless and then is they sell to a magazine called The Naked Truth where she tries to get them not to be published. She deals with the uh, editor, who I'm sure is some call-out to someone that I don't recognize. I'm sure it's some sort of in-joke that I don't get at all. But fails, and it gets published. But it's okay, because the color corrected all the photographs, thinking green was a mistake. So now it's just the She-Hulk topless, but flesh-colored. Mm-hmm. So everything's okay, waka-waka. And that's the fucking plot of the issue. Yep. Yeah. It's astounding. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not good, I think. I mean, there's so many things that aren't good. Also, though, although, Graham, I, I do want to say, I feel that perhaps modern comics attempt to make everything an event uh, may have sort of miscolored your memories. Because as I recall, it's like for comics... Issue one's a big deal. Issue 25, issue 50, maybe issue 75, and issue 100 is a big deal. But once you're past those, it's only the 50s and the 100s. Issue 225, issue 275, those are those are really not – or yeah, maybe, 125s. They're not really anything. Yeah, I yeah think, but like I, I think also I, my, I, my idea is kind of skewed because I definitely remember like X-Men 175 was the – the Return of Dark Phoenix fake out mm-hmm. that ends with Scott and Madeline getting married. Right. You know, yeah, and so I think, I think that might, yeah, yeah mm-hmm. that might be skewing with my memory of it as well. Right, right. Yeah. No, that that is kind of pretty amazing. But yeah, I think that might be throwing you off. And of course, later on, you know, where they're like, hey, it's issue 175 of Venom. Next issue, issue one. After that, Venom 1000. Then, Issue two of Venom and Friends. So, yeah, I don't know. Um, <laughs> so this issue is terrible, and it's terrible in a way that is re- – well, okay. So the big thing is, I mean, apart from all the other – Burns' whole, like, oh, it's so sleazy that, that people are trying to take advantage of female heroines and see them naked uh, – and yet, let's face it; it's all pretty salacious and cheesecakey and fun. Oh yeah, it's 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 totally like if he's trying to make a feminist point, it's 
utterly destroyed by the way that he uh, portrays She-Hulk in this comic. Yeah, this is this is basically a warm up for John Byrne being like, ah, if only one day I could do an issue where Superman and Big Barda makes make porno flicks together, you know, because they're being mind controlled by a pornographer like. That would be a pornographer big. called Sleaze. Sleaze. Yeah. Oh, who could forget? I just didn't, you know, I didn't want to spoil all the fun for the people who got to be hear about this and be like, I think I'll look that up just so that I can also, feel my. Also, Sleaze, who lives in the sewers? Yeah. Yeah, it's subtle. But the weird part is, again, this weird thing where Burns also like, but come on, let's face it. I mean, you know, there's. I can't even get into whatever the fuck is going on with Byrne and his Oh no, no, but it's it's it but it totally is in this issue. This is atrocious, but you would, wouldn't you? Yes. I mean it's it's it's, it's yeah. just it's just horrible. Like it's really it's not just hypocritical, it's really sort of lazily shittily hypocritical, you know? Well it's it's like John, I know you're wanking off these pages as you draw them. Right. Well, see, but this is it. At one point, again, when Byrne was bitching about Chris Claremont and something or other, Byrne refers to himself as being a true Victorian. And I think there's something to that, God help me, in that Byrne's very excited to, you know, sex Sex has to be squalid. It has to be, you know, it's it's got to be degrading. But that's also where the where the interesting part comes in. But it's gross to talk about it as anything other than wrong. But let's face it, that's what makes it awesome, right? And everyone else is like, oh. But the Victorians are like, I think he's onto something. Yes, absolutely. My goodness, that's certainly the way we approach sex. Also, in this issue, we find out that Johnny and Alicia uh, did it. So, like, if this is an issue where if you're like, mm, where can I pick up a comic book quickly and easily on Marvel Unlimited that will make me just feel crawly, just crawly all over? Um, this is really, I think, well, the issue to go let, with, don't you? Yeah, can we talk about the Johnny and Alicia thing? Sure. Because it's it's terrible. Yeah. It's it's not the shame that Johnny feels. Mm-hmm. Is I don't know. It feels super um, fake, I guess. Mm. Mm-hmm. It, it it feels very much like. I actually we we've kind of approached this before. Think of the shame that Ben felt for sleeping with Alicia. Right. Uh, when they, they were all shrunk down in dolls. Mm-hmm. Alicia apparently does have another superpower beyond being able to like magically make everything better her superpower is her vagina makes everyone feel ashamed yeah i've known a few people like that hi <laughs> <laughs> oh, <God>, jeff <laughs> um but but it's it's uh, there's something super weird and creepy about this scene mm-hmm. it, it's a one-page interlude in the comic for people mm-hmm. who haven't read it yes and it is literally the implication is that johnny Fucks Alicia, and then the next morning, he feels so guilty, he gets up and then sort of disappears without telling her. And she has to come upstairs and be like, what is going on? And he's like, you temptress, you you made me do a terrible thing that I'm so ashamed about. And she's like, but I'm into it. And then they make out. Yeah. I, except, I, except she says, 
we're ni- neither of us children, Johnny. What happened was beautiful, and it happened because we both wanted it to happen. Don't spoil it with needless recriminations, thereby proving once again that John Byrne has never met a real person. <laughs> well, I mean, he's going—he's going for the soap opera here. There's at some point. We, I mean, we've already spent so much time bitching about that. I assume there will be a, a, a point after these issues where we can talk about the ramifications of the Johnny Alicia relationship with Ben involved. Well, especially. But also, uh, don't forget, all of this is going to get retconned, so read these scenes remembering that that's not Alicia, that's a scroll. Okay, see, and I'm, I don't, I never, I'd stopped reading, so I didn't know about the retcon, I'd heard they handled it, but let's face it, Byrne's not doing this like this is a retcon, of course, Byrne is doing this no, no, as, Byrne's with doing a scroll. It's a soap opera. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a soap opera, I think he sees a lot of things that make a lot of sense with it, and I think that it also, for him, pays off on... A couple of ideas that he's like, oh yeah, this this will be a way to bring back some of the you know, the genuine tension in the f- comical fights between the thing and torch, you know. But it just but do you think that thing is is like literally he writes Ben out the book in two issues? No, I I don't I don't think so. I think that this is his way to write Ben out of the book to have a really good reason to keep do why the thing gets a thing title and the FF can continue with this and then leave the door open for whatever else is going to happen. But no, I think, I think this is one of those, those, this is just a classically super, super bad idea. Like you, you get to it, you're like, oh, there's a lot of reasons as to why you should do it. Whether it's like keeping Ben out of the, book whether it's like reintroducing the soap opera concept whether it's like ah you want to bring back ben but you want him to be more of the bitter misanthrope that he was in the early issues and but now he's got a reason or whatever else that you're going to be doing later down the line but it's just a really really bad idea you know and and i just feel like there's like i don't know there's so many reasons for it it feels it just feels it just feels creepy. It feels creepy in the way that that interestingly enough occasionally happens in real life. You know, like what was that one mm-hmm. dude? Like you hear about these stories all the time, where it's but it's basically like Ben and Johnny, for all intents and purposes, in this book are brothers, and so the idea that these two characters would enter into this relationship without any real sense of the ramifications. Again, there's a way in which I'm like, well, you got to admit that does sometimes happen in real life, but you actually really tend to look askance at the people who are in, who are uh, where that's happening. And you kind of think that they generally could have and should have had better impulse control. So well, what what's super interesting about it for me is I can buy it from Johnny's perspective. Mm-hmm. I can't buy it from Alicia's. Yes. Well, yes, because I can't. Johnny, I genuinely wouldn't expect Johnny to know better. Right. Johnny has been shown to be I mean, utterly clueless when it comes to a woman. Yeah. And for want of a better way of putting it, following his dick all the time. Right. I just don't buy it from Alicia's point of view. Like, it makes more sense to me that it is a scrub pretending to be Alicia sure. than the idea that Alicia would do it. 
That well, actually makes more sense to me. As ridiculous as that plot turns out to no, be. No, 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 no. Uh, I get it. I get it. Yeah. You know, because uh, I, I think that... Um, oh, sorry. I, I don't mean to cut you off. I was going to say, this only, for me, comes to any sort of fruition when Engelhart comes on the book. Mm-hmm. Because he, being Steve Engelhart, leans into the fucked up soap opera-ness of it all. Right. Right. Yeah, which... And why does he? Yeah, but, um, yeah. But it, it's... It, it, before that, it just seems like the weirdest, most unfortunate choice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, again, it, I and again, I feel that part of the problem is there's so much that's off the page. As you know, you you mentioned when Ben, you know, uh, Alicia's shame causing vagina, but I think there's actually the idea that Ben is sexually fucked up is something that burn lays some groundwork for at a couple of different points his whatever it is whether it's sexual impotence or whatever he is just intensely uncomfortable when it comes to that and i think one of the things that burn has been doing again off the page from hints and things uh is a little bit of that idea that alicia is uh is a sexual person who is not getting what she wants out of her relationship with Ben, you know? And, and so the fact is, is that Alicia is someone who, who and I can kind of, again, I, I think it's sort of the, the groundwork is kind of there, but I just don't think that in a sense, Johnny following his dick, like you said, he's young. You can almost see him doing it, in which case I would see him being a lot more upset, not over the idea that, as he put it, that he took advantage of their friendship, but very much just this idea of, like, uh, this is something that I know that one of the people I care most in the world about would be genuinely weirdly devastated by, you know? And... And and in this scene where the two of them more or less reassure one another, it has nothing to do with Ben. It has everything to do with the, oh, I took advantage of you. Don't be silly. I wanted it. Come here, sexy. You know, is not the right conversation that you would expect people to be having. At least two characters that are, have not been established in the previous 274 issues, you know, as they w haven't been established as being sociopaths, so it's kind of weird that that it's playing out the way that it's playing out, you know. Well, the other the other thing is like Burn has been building this for some time now. Yeah. But it's still in the previous two hundred odd issues. They never really seem to have a friendship. Mm -hmm. So all of it rings oddly false. Yeah. Yeah, it feels kind of plot hammered from the get go. Once they're sort of hanging out and people are doing things like, "Oh, Johnny's actually learning stuff," and he's like, "Ha ha, look at me! I know the difference between a photograph and an oil painting now." Ha ha. Which I'm just like, Johnny, there was there were clues. You probably should have been able to tell. You know <laughs> exactly, Johnny. How did you not know that before? Yes, no, really. Yes. How how did you not know that before? <laughs> <laughs> do, do we need to do we need to call someone? Because honestly, yeah. seriously, how can you not tell the photograph the difference between a photograph and an oil painting? Yeah, what exactly. is actually happening there, yeah. Johnny? What is it's, going on? Yeah, this issue is not the best, and by not the best, I mean maybe the worst. <laughs> 
It kind of is. Well, I mean, uh, for what it's worth, I do like, despite the situation that it's in, I really do like John Byrne's um, take on the She-Hulk in this. I mean, can we at least talk about the fact she's someone who's very frustrated, uh, but I don't know. She's very, you know, which I think Byrne is, I mean, it's sort of a fait accompli. You would think that it being the year 1984, you would get characters being written by men, women characters being written like men as if they were just individuals and not crazy hysterics or whatever. But it is, I do appreciate the fact that as frustrated as She-Hulk is at every stage in this, she continues to try and do things. She continues to... She's basically heroic in all of her stuff. I, you know, yeah, and also she continues to try and do the things through the system. Yes, yeah, which also makes a lot of sense for her character. You know, so, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I think that that was that was great. The other thing that is intensely weird about the issue is the ending, which we should point out that issue two seventy five actually takes place before issues uh, sorry takes place after issues 276 and 277 so when we get to see reed and sue they're completely fucked up about what just happened to franklin which confused the shit out of me until i got to issue 276 so um it is really really strange but i you will well, at the end of 275, it says, what were the grim events the last few days alluded yeah. to by Reed and Sue Richards? By now next month, it is the weirdest time jump. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really strange. And again, just sort of that idea of, like, Burns trying to do a lot and arguably too much. Because issues 276 and 277, again, nice touches that I really like and also a lot of weird shit that you're like... John Byrne, why, what were you thinking? Why were you thinking this? How did you think this was going to work out? So there, There is so much that is strange about this. One thing I do like about 276 is the logo treatment. Mm. The, the idea is that there is a character who is producing so much light mm-hmm. that the, um, the logo is somehow in relief and casting shadows, and it's really effective. Yeah. The that rest of the cover fun. is kind of terrible, but that logo treatment is really effective, and I really like it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I arguably like it more than everything else in the comic. <laughs> because this is kind of terrible. <laughs> it's kind of terrible. <laughs> uh, what beyond... Well, actually, there's two things I want to put out. One, Jerry Ordway on inks just makes this book look so much better. Yes. Like... Immediately, he makes yeah. this book look so much better. Yep. It, it, because the characters all of a sudden have a weight that they didn't have before. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, the the seeing Reed go from uh, his his disguise to himself, mm-hmm. it is it's a lovely three panel sequence, and the characters all look like people in a way that Burning never quite managed before. Yeah, yeah, I think that's. I mean, a a classic example of what you're talking about is on page six if you're looking at the git scans uh when they have their neighbors over um burn for whatever reason decides that it would be great if all of the neighbors in their neighborhood are um comic strip couples of various stripes so 
you get to see Dennis the Menace's dad. You get to see Dagwood and Blondie. You even get to see a realistic version of the Lockhorns. Um, there's a few others that I sort of recognize but can't. And whereas before, for whatever reason, Burns' cartoony stuff somehow looked weirdly jarring next to his regular Bernie-type stuff, Ordway smooths all of that out. He really gives all the books, the characters, when they're supposed to look realistic, such as I really enjoyed back on page four, the look on She-Hulk's face as she's prepping to, to like... Um, but you know, lift 75 tons and um, white wing foot sort of looking on and smiling like those are sort of realistic faces that look realistic. But when you get to the cartoony faces a few pages later, it all works. Even Reed's change from him, his secret identity back to him. I mean, I'm sure people remember how weird and odd it looked when Byrne showed that transition when Byrne was penciling and inking. So overall, it's just... I, 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 no, it works. It, yeah. it really does work. I, it does. When you see him talk to High and Lois, mm -hmm. or really just Hiram, because you don't, you don't, you see the back of her head. You're right. Like the two characters look like they do inhabit the same space. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's really just a, a, a fascinating, some, some weird, thing about Ordway where his, he's able to hit that middle ground so that yeah it all it all makes sense so yeah what's interesting to me is is that I'm not a big fan of 274 through 277 the stories or what Burns doing or in some cases how he's doing it but the but the book really does look substantially better which is nice um, I, I enjoyed the 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 book in sort of an eye candy way in a way that sure. really was too uneven coming up to it. I think yeah. that being said, uh, unfortunately the, the story really for 276, which goes into 277, 276 is called suffer a witch to live. Mm -hmm. And 277 is called back from beyond for reasons that we'll get onto um, is on the plus side. Sure. He's, you know, he's winding up the, the, subplot about the nosy neighbor mm -hmm. but it's i mean it's slight to the point of ridiculous yeah the short version is the nosy neighbor calls in someone to because she thinks that the the uh, reading suit are are monsters uh, but the person she calls in is a witch who's involved with mephisto oh shit and then dr strange comes along and is like oh shit you guys the end <laughs> well, and the thing that I think to me that is also amazing is is that uh, issue 277 is one of those classic like burn formalist techniques that I mean, okay, so this is issues 270, 276 has a publication date of March 1985 and uh, 277 has an is is, you know, the following month. I find it amazing, uh, 277. The entire issue is split. The page is split where the top tier is Ben's return from the Beyonders world and back in New York. And the bottom tier is Doctor Strange investigating things, going to hell, and essentially trying helping the Richards defeat Mephisto. Again, 
stunning to me is this runs throughout the entire issue, like right up until the very last goddamn page. 1985, Alan Moore has been telling comics, has been telling comic book stories for a while. You know what I mean? Like, there's no mm -hmm. way that, Bur like, I'm, I'm convinced Byrne has never read an Alan Moore comic by the time that this is done. Because the number of page turns or parallels, Byrne is, has no interest in creating a frisson between the two storylines. They're like, nope. They're just happening in two different tracks. Read that yeah. track and it's one story, this track and the other. Even when you get to the final page, is there a unifying image or concept or conceit that ties the two ideas together? Nope. Story one in the top, story two in the bottom. Done and done. And that's fascinating It, it is to amazing me. that there's like, there's no sort of connective tissue there at all. Mm -hmm. You know, the burns just like, I've got two stories to tell and I'm going to tell it, but look at me. I'm being so inventive. And we read it now as in, Oh, there's so many missed opportunities here. Yes. Yeah. It's just, it's it, again, it, which it leads me to from talking at the beginning, this idea that burn kind of has sort of so much uh, arrogance or is full of himself enough that, that just coming up with the idea is enough for him to be like, oh, shit, you guys, I'm amazing. And really not thinking about, not even thinking that he could take any of that and and move it to the next level somehow, you know? So I don't, I, I don't know. I do not know. So it, it's, which is kind of a shame. Also, in that weird way that 80s Marvel comics are, Half of the juice of this story comes from wrapping up, you know, from crossing over with the conclusion of Rom's storyline, which is amazing. And yet also a little bit of a, but who gives a shit, you know, kind of level, which is unfortunate, I think, you know, it's like the, the top tier really has like Ben comes back, has to confront the fact that Johnny and Alicia are sleeping together, which is in you would think incredibly fraught and then and then there's the crazy hijinks of like oh there's the wraith world oh that chick's a wraith oh my god what's gonna happen you guys oh don't worry about it it got handled in rom's book and in fact it's all gonna get cleared up is gonna be explained by this guy who's wearing a unitard with a yellow unitard with like a, a white star on it enjoy you know yeah it's it's also kind of amazing that Again, the meat of the the thing story mm -hmm. actually happens in the thing zone book. Wow! And it tells you, like, keep continuing in the pages of thing twenty three because that's that's where you get the story of him being like, yeah, I really can't rejoin the team. Right. As opposed to here, he sees uh, Johnny Alicia. He gets upset. He fights some race, and then it's like, I'm not coming back to the team. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's explained until, except in, in a different book. You know, it's it's. But does it need an explanation, though? Part of me is kind of like he just found these two people doing it. The idea that he's not come coming in back to that situation I, just strikes I, me as mature. Why does it need to be played out? I feel there's story there. Put it that way. Sure, th there's also, story. I'm yeah. not, I'm not sure it's the story that's in the things issue twenty three. The story that they, they tell you to read. Um, but yeah, it's it's. It feels again very much like you guys buy the fucking thing book. 
Mm-hmm. You know? Well, it, yeah. and again, a little bit of, of Burn being like, oh, he's back. And again, it's sort of that same way there's that fake out, which is alluded to in the first issue of the thing, where he's like, it's the end of the Fantastic Four. And of course, Reed's like, no, of course not. We're just moving out of the Baxter Bay we've got to get a secret identity. And so this is like the thing's back and everyone's like, okay, see you, She-Hulk, you're out of the team. And, and John Burns like, no, 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 no. No, 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 no. Which itself, again, how do I put this? Part of what you love about comics when you read a lot of superhero comics is you see the tropes and then you see the person who takes the tropes and puts a spin on them. And the part that you hear everyone complain about is is that when there's nothing really more than just someone being like, oh, I know you think this is going to go A, but I'm just going B. Ta-da! You know, and that's... yes. That's not necessarily enough, you know? Which is kind of the feeling for all of this issue. Yeah. You know, and, and all of 276 as well. 276 and 277 are – it's not enough. Yeah. There should be more to this for it to really work, for it to be entertaining. Well, Because it, it feels very – yeah. That oh, Sorry, I don't mean to cut you off, but that was when we started this podcast. That was kind of my feeling about all the issues. There's something that I appreciate in every one of these issues. And for the most part, those bits really do make it a worthwhile read, even if it's when it gets to like, oh, thank God they finally got an inker on John Byrne and now things just look better. But but at the same time, it really does seem just kind of there's just not quite enough there there to make me be like, you know, yeah, these are okay comics, you know, it to the extent that they're considered great comics might point to that sort of lowered standards that everyone at the Comics Journal was accusing superhero comic book readers of having in 1985, you know, so. Mm -hmm. But, uh, yeah, it's just, it's, I, I, I liked 271 through 273. Mm-hmm. I did think two seven three is 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 kind of a mess, but overall, as like a three issue storyline, I think there's an awful lot there that I really enjoy. Mm -hmm. And then two seven four through two seven seven is varying levels of. It, it feels like Burns' attention is elsewhere. Mm -hmm. It feels like mm -hmm. he's going through his emotions, and maybe he doesn't think he is, and maybe mm -hmm. he has the best of intentions. Mm -hmm. But it still feels like he's going through emotions as a reader. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know. Yeah. So. It's kind of, it's kind of sad. It's kind of disappointing, but at the same time, it's they're not good comics, <laughs> right? They're not good comics, but they're weirdly not bad comics either. I mean, or it's just that weird mix of, to me, they're not good comics, but there's enough good bits in them that I'm glad that I read them. But in true Jeff Lester fashion, what? I'm also going to complain about them. You know. Well, that's just it. Like, I I read these and, you know, I like I said, I don't like 274 through 277, but I had a good time reading them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know? And like, yeah. I, sure. It right. was fine. Yeah. You know? Yeah. No, and I'm the same way. I'm the same way. There's just, it, it for whatever it's worth, the fact is, is that the benchmark that Byrne is setting for a bad FF comic is... Still, I think way, way, way ahead 
of what the benchmark for a bad FF comic used to be, you know? And and yeah. that's probably damning with faint praise, but... But we're going to do it anyway. That's yes, the we praise are. we're going to damn with. <laughs> <laughs> that's I, know, I, the praise I, I, I did actually think that earlier. I was like, I was like, are we just grading on a curve now? Because they aren't really good comics, but they feel better than we've read. <laughs> right. Stockholm Syndrome is taking over. <laughs> well, who knows? That might be a larger struggle for uh, us and for anyone who reads superhero comics is maybe once you start reading so many of them, you sort of start grading on the curve. I don't know. And again, or sort of the same way, once you've read 275 issues of, of a comic book and you have degrees of emotional investment with the comics, you're, you're either, you know, reading for the good bits and ignoring the bad bits or the bad bits are driving you so crazy. You can't see the good bits. I don't, you know, but, but those, but the ability to discern what those are, you know, is at a completely different level for somebody who's like, you know, this is their fourth or fifth superhero comic book, you know? where their reactions are either going to be like, this is the most amazing shit ever. My imagination is firing on all cylinders or what the hell are you people even into? This makes no sense. So, yeah, it's, that's a great summation of the issues we're going to read next time, Jeff. <laughs> really? Well, tell me more. About In all seriousness. So next time we're going to go from two, seven, eight through mm-hmm. two, eight, four. Wow. It okay. is, Arguably the last major storyline of Burns FF. Wow. Okay. Uh, because after that, the book kind of gets a little wacky. Mm-hmm. There's kind of a major storyline after that, but it's a major storyline that kind of gets derailed by Secret Wars 2, of all things. Oof. This also, which is, I should point out, Secret Wars 2 ties into our next storyline as well. Um, but we are going to see the return of Doctor Doom, Jeff. Wow. We're going to see the Invisible Girl become the Invisible Woman. Mm-hmm. And we're going to meet Malice, the mind-controlled version of the Invisible Girl that messed with many a hormone of a young Graham McMillan. Oh, really? Wow. Okay, this becomes an episode I'm looking forward to <laughs> immensely. <laughs> yeah, so that's Nets episode. Nets back to building is going to be 278 through 284. Mm-hmm. After this, there's like, I think, another 10 issues of the burn run left. Uh, and no, even less, because he disappears before the anniversary issue. He disappears like two issues early, again, wow. in the middle of the storyline. Jesus. Yeah, the, the last few burn issues are super weird. Mm-hmm. Super weird. Um, but burn does get replaced as artist by Jerry Con- uh, Jerry Ordway. Wow. Wow. Right. Interesting. King. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's, that's for the future. For this time, we're here to say, huh, those were issues, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) I am going to tell all of you, fine, lovely people, uh, that show notes for this episode will be up, let's say, the middle of Monday, because I have a kind of crazy schedule this week. Um, Let's say the middle of Monday on waitwhatpodcast.com. Posts will very soon resume now that I am back in Portland, Oregon for waitwhatpod.tumblr.com in which I will just post random fucking images of comics and you'll be like, oh, is that what he's reading these days? Okay, wow, the new universe, huh? Okay then, if he must. And (laughs) 
you're available on Twitter at Wait What Podcasts. Jeff is available solo on Twitter at LazyBastard at L A Z Y B A S T I D. I'm available solo on Twitter at Graham M at G R A E M E M. And the Baxter Building as an entity exists purely because of the kindness of strangers as sorted and made automatic with patreon.com jeff why don't you tell people a bit more about the magic of patreon yes i will thank goodness um patreon is where a group of people have gathered to uh throw us the the uh, bit of spare change as a way to thank us for doing so many episodes and releasing them without obnoxious commercials unless we make those up ourselves and making it all freely available for all of them no no it was fabulous though but no 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 that's not that would that wouldn't be fair although could you could you do one right now because <laughs> jeff just keep going with patreon oh, okay see graham mcmillan professional tease uh so thank you listeners all of you are absolutely fantastic, as Graham pointed out, because you hit the certain goals that we had set up. We've done the Baxter building. We're still doing the Baxter building. I can't believe how many issues of the Fantastic Four that we've read and how many we still have more to read. Uh, hey, we're is... more than halfway. We're way more than halfway. No, I know. We're practically like uh, three quarters of the way through, which staggers me. So, and that is, that is thanks to all the wonderful people on Patreon. Uh, but we really do, um, reserve special thanks to the kind crew at American Ninth Art Studios, as well as Empress Audrey, Queen of the Galaxy. Uh, we're especially grateful still, for their Still not destroyed support. us. Yes, we're still all here. Unlike, um, the section of, that section that got wiped out. In Secret Wars, right? There's just a whole section of the universe, uh, like a our galaxy, that got wiped and erased, and just so the for the Beyonders' cheap thrills, we're very Why, very I lucky. I don't think it's I don't think it's our galaxy. I think it's the Beyonders' galaxy. Is it the Beyonders' galaxy? Is yeah, it's some it, other it, galaxy? It's yeah. an entirely different part of the yeah yeah okay. Well, the point being, we're still here. So obviously, I think we so can conclude. So suck it. Suck it. I think we can conclude that Empress Audrey is better than the Beyonder is what I was going for. But uh, yeah, I've oh, said it. Obviously, you, yeah. you've said it. What What's the Beyonder going to do, huh? Huh? What's oh, the Beyonder going to do? See, now you're pushing it. Now you're pushing it. Also, the fact that I'm saying that as we head into Secret Wars two issues. <laughs> What's the other going to do? We'll find out really soon, and it's oh not going to be God. pretty. Oh, my God. Is not it really that soon? Jesus. Uh, we are, at this point, I want to say, like, three issues away from Secret Wars 2 issue. Oh, my God. No wonder why everyone sorry, got... Sorry, we're five. We're five issues away. Okay, see, that sort of made sense, because up until, like, relatively recently, you know, like, uh, on these issues, they had something like the Secret Wars had been over in the FF, but they mentioned, like, now currently on issue nine or on issue ten, I'm like Jesus, it's still going on. But so. in, the, in the episode, the episode after next, Jeff, we uh -huh. have no less than three Secret Wars issues, and the X Factor crossover issue. Whoa, boy! Oh shit, the X Factor crossover issue. That was a big bag of tedium. I think maybe I'm yep. remembering it wrong. Yeah, nope, nope. You're I not. Let me just tell you right now. The X Factor uh, rollout 
which was a really big deal. I, as you know, I'm a big fan of Marvel Age magazine, mm-hmm. the in-house Marvel sales. Uh, I I have the X Factor issue. I have the issue that announces X Factor, and they no shit are like it's the biggest thing to happen to Marvel since the original Secret Wars. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're like it crosses over. It launches in the fucking Avengers and Fantastic Four. Yes. This is going to be the biggest book in the world. The way that only Bob Layton can bring it to you. You know, I this is great because maybe hopefully because you're such a big fan of Marvel Age. You can explain, why did they even think that way? Was it just that it was an X-Men book and X-Men was selling like crazy and they figured out a way to yes. do the X-Men without getting Chris Claremont involved, they thought? Or... Yes. Yeah. Okay, Jesus. I, th- I think they literally were like, you guys like the X-Men, right? Would you like the X-Men if it was more like another Marvel comic? Yeah. <laughs> well, I yeah. Well, uh, what's uh, amazing is, uh, I, this is... We're now getting amazingly digressionary as we were heading right towards the end. Stay with us, everyone. The initial hype for X-Men and Marvel Age plays up very, very, very much how unlike Claremont's X-Men it's going to be and how much more like a traditional superhero book it's going to be. So I genuinely think that they were like, you guys, it's the X-Men characters you like with superheroics you like. How can this fail? Yeah, which is fascinating to me. It really was... It really just feels like some real sense of sour grapes or, or I don't know, just a real misunderstanding of its audience. I, yeah, I think, I, think it, I think it's a laughter. Mm-hmm. I think it's a really dramatic misunderstanding. Yeah, yeah. So, but, but, but they're like, but because we're so sure that that's not the case, we're going to ram it down everyone's throats. Enjoy. Yeah, good old Marvel. And also the fact they were like, they're like, we're playing it cool. No one's gonna tell who the fifth member is because remember it was it was. Or you might not even know this. It was originally sold as Cyclops, Angel, Beast, Iceman, and a mystery fifth member. Sure, sure. I so think like, I do remember that. Who, who can tell who the fifth member is? Find yeah. out in a Fantastic Four story called Like a Phoenix. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, oh, okay, I get it. Yeah, they actually, has a contest in Marvel Age to see if people could guess based on that first based on that story. Wow. And the number of people who guessed wrong is amazing. Only one person got it right. What? Oh come yeah. on. No. Nope. That, that's what they say. Their their way of getting that out of that is by saying it's different saying it's Phoenix. They're like, it's not Phoenix, it's Jean Grey, they're different characters. Which is a complete fudge because at that point they weren't different characters. Yeah, exactly. But, yeah, but that's how one, they go but on. But one person right? one person exactly guessed it they were like it's jean gray because she was never phoenix and they're like you got it true believer but lots of other people were like it's mantis it's dazzler it's scarlet witch it's like any fucking female character in the marvel universe right yeah because i'm sure they had the silhouette and they're like okay it's a lady figure hmm well hmm. graham mcmillan I'm just so glad that, if nothing else, we're doing the Baxter Building podcast and not the X Factor podcast. I know that probably makes you sad because you're like, Jeff, heresy! But I. No, no, I, I foolishly revisited all the essential X Factor collections, which people may or may not know. There's five of them, and they go all the way through the, uh, the run of the team where it's the original X Men. It goes wow. all the way up to the Peter David run. And don't get me wrong. Louise Simonson and Walt Simonson run. That's some great comics in there. We'll see that. Everything it. else is 
shit. Yeah. I mean, that's it. To the extent anyone, I would think, to the extent anyone's reprinting all of that, it's just so that the Simonson's run sort of makes sense and has context, you know? But, eh, whatever. Yeah, there's some uh, some terrible books. But no, we're not doing the X-Factor. We're doing Fantastic Four. X-Factor, just go and listen to Explain the X-Men. Sure, it's on hiatus right now, but the episodes are still out there. Go, listen to it. We're doing Fantastic Four. And in a month, we'll be doing Fantastic Four 278 through 284. That's all you need to know. I would normally sing as I know, but I'm not going to because it's Baxter Building. And that means Jeff has something to tell you. I do. Thank you so much for joining us, everyone. And we'll see you next time in the lobby of the Baxter Building.